weeks and months, I get a chance to speak to many people who see the Jewish Spotlight. And in conversations with them about the show and about different things that we have on the show, very often a comment that they get is that people would like to have something telling them about the basics of what Jewish belief is all about. What is Judaism? You know, we have many different guests and we talk about many different topics. We have many interesting people on the show. But I'd like to spend the next half hour really giving you a good idea what are the basics of what Jewish belief is all about. Because in order to understand the context of the Jewish people, of being Jewish, of knowing a Jewish person, of why Jews do what they do, it's important to know what some of these beliefs, not necessarily the practices. The practices are, are practices we go into during the course of other shows, and we have, during the course of the Jewish Spotlight, explored many different mitzvot. Mitzvot meaning the word for commandment, the traditions that we have from Judaism that were commanded to the Jewish people by God, just as we, there are commandments that are given in the Torah also to non-Jews as well. But the Jewish belief is a very unique belief which dates back thousands of years. And as a result, I think we could go into the laws of Rambam. Maimonides was a very great rabbi, lived back about 850 years ago. And he was considered to be a great philosopher and a sage and a rabbi, a teacher, even a healer who dealt with medical problems on a regular basis and used his Torah knowledge to be able to teach thousands and thousands of people and wrote books that have affected thousands of millions of lives. He wrote what is called the 13 basic principles of our faith. And these 13 basic principles have been accepted through our Jewish history as being some of the most important parts of who we are as a Jewish people. In looking at this 13 principles of faith, it's important to understand that it was written at a time where the Jewish people were going through somewhat of a transition, going through difficulties. The difficulties were difficulties dealing with the fact that there were other religions and other lifestyles, cultures, which were competing with Jewish belief at that time. And as a result, he wanted to make it very clear to the Jewish people, what exactly does Judaism have to say that makes our Jewish belief unique? So whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, it would be interesting to see what are these 13 principles that make up our basic religion. The 13 principles themselves are divided into three basic categories. The first category deals mostly with our basic belief in God. What is the nature of our belief in God? How does this belief work? The second category deals with mostly the authenticity of the Torah, the meaning of the Torah, the background of the Torah, the relationship of God with the Torah, how we believe that the Torah is the means by which God revealed himself to this world and constantly gives the direction and guidance to the world, to all of mankind, all of the human beings in this world, to be able to live a righteous and a proper life. And the third aspect of the 13 principles of faith deal with actually God's relation with mankind itself, as far as the different issues that man faces in trying to be a better person, to strive to fill God's mission that God gave us in this world. So let's get started and look a little bit into what these 13 principles are all about. Well, the first principle deals really with our basic belief in God. As it says here, animamin, which means I believe. And that is what all of the 13 principles believe with, the words animamin. I believe with complete faith that the Creator, blessed be His name, creates and guides all creatures and that God alone made, makes, and will make everything. In other words, our belief as, as Jews is based on the belief of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah, the very first Jews, who proclaimed monotheism in the world, and who saw that really everything comes from one source, one power, one omniscient 
being, whatever name we give God, the fact is that this is a creator. And God himself in the Torah, in Bereshit, in Genesis, introduces himself, how? By saying that I am the creator of the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is the first credential that God gives us, that we should know that God, in fact, is the one who brings every atom and every molecule, every cell, every aspect of the whole of creation into being from the very beginning of time until this very moment. And that right now, God is bringing this creation into being. As we say in the prayer book, a number of times, that God renews through his goodness every single moment, every day of creation. And this is a basic part of our Jewish belief. Number two, I believe with a complete faith that the Creator is unique and there is no uniqueness like His in any way and that He alone is our God who was, who is, and who always will be. In other words, that God Almighty is a God (coughs) that is above time, a God that's unique in the sense that there is no comparison to this God. Not to say in any sense that we're competing with gods, that it's a matter of saying that one religion's God is different than another religion's God. No. Because we believe that all, all gods that all people believe in is really the same God. It's really one God who is the omniscient, the omnipotent, but the unique God that is the creator of all of matter, all of space, all of time. And a God's name, in fact, which is Yud and Ahay and Avav and Ahay, the four-letter name in Hebrew, a very holy name that is used in prayer, really has the same four letters as is used in the words for Hoya, Hava, V'yehiyah which is, was, is, and always will be. That God is above time and space, but comes into time and space and creates time and space in order to bring this world into being. The third of these basic principles is, I believe with complete faith that the Creator, blessed be His name, is not physical and is not affected by physical phenomena and that there is no comparison whatsoever to God. In other words... When we read the Torah, for those of you who have read the Bible to whatever degree, you might know it says in the Bible that God takes the Jews out of Egypt with an outstretched arm, or that his eyes see, or that his ear hears. But these are all physical manifestations. These are not really the way we think of God. We don't think of God as being some type of figurehead that's sitting up on a chair or a chariot someplace in the heavens. But God is a force above all of this. But nevertheless, the Torah speaks to us in a terminology that we are able to understand by giving God somewhat of these attributes that we can empathize or we can feel and understand better what it is that is part of God's makeup. In fact, interestingly enough, when it says in Genesis that man was made in the image of God, that gives us the right in a certain way when, we, when we, it says that God spoke and brought the world to the being or God has an outstretched arm. We can learn from our own physical makeup, being that we were created in God's image, we can better understand a little bit of what does it mean that we believe that God speaks? Or what does it mean when we say that God has a hand that takes us out of Egypt with an outstretched arm? So all of these things are things that our rabbis and sages go into great depth to explore and to better understand the nature of God and what is the makeup of God, who is the God that we believe in and that we pray to. Because as in everything in life, the more familiar we are with something, more the closer we feel to it, and the more we're able to truly have passion and to have a true feeling of dedication and feeling when we follow through in our religious beliefs and our our customs and traditions as a Jew. We go now to the fourth of the basic principles of faith, where Maimonides teaches that I believe with complete faith that the Creator, blesses His name, is the very first and the very last. 
I remember hearing from a uh, very interesting elderly Jew that once when he was a young boy, he was very turned off to Hebrew school. And why was he turned off? He told me that when he was there in school, he had a question for his teacher. And his question was, if God is so great, who created God? And the teacher was very upset that he should ask such a question. But he was very proud of this question, even to this day when he was an older man. And we talked about the question. And it's a very natural question. It's a question that many people do ask. But this, in fact, is the definition of God. That God is the first and the last. That God is the cause and the, the effect. That God began everything and brought everything into being. And as we say in the famous prayer, Adon Olam, for those of you who are familiar, many tunes to Adon Olam, it's one of the basic prayers that Jewish children are taught from the time of a young Hebrew school student, that Adon Olam, Hashem, Malach, Betelem Kol Yitzv Mivra, that God was in existence even before the world came into being. And that as a result, we believe in a God that was far beyond any type of understanding that we could have as human beings. Because this God is, as I said before, above time, above space, but is the first and the primordial cause for all existence. And this is why we pray to God. And this is why we believe in God. Because we believe in a God beyond anything physical, anything we could possibly ascribe to God, a force that is so intense and so beautiful, so loving, so giving, that it is a force and a, and a source that is well-deserving of our reverence and our constant prayers. Now, let's go to the fifth of the 13 principles of faith. I believe with complete faith that the Creator, blessed be His name, to Him alone is it proper to pray and it is not proper to pray to any other. So this is a basic belief in Judaism that we feel that when we pray, we don't pray to angels, we don't pray to the moon, to the sun, to the stars, we don't pray to a tree that we might like, we don't pray to an animal, because everything is part of a bigger plan. Everything is part of a creation that fits into this creation in a beautiful balance. And to give importance to any aspect of that beautiful balance, more than what the source itself has, is really not putting our priorities in the correct place. So even though it's a custom, let's say, to go to a gravesite, to pray in the temple, in our sanctuary, to pray at the Western Wall, there are certain places that we consider to be more holy than other places. But even these places, we're only praying to the one God. As Abraham made it very clear that he was going to pray to one God and not to all the idols that were being built by his own father, in, in fact. His father, Terach, was a person who was an artisan and made a living in building idols. At one time, Abraham came home and he was just tired of seeing his father making a living building these idols. So what did he do? He took an axe and he broke all the idols except for one. And when he broke that one idol, he put the axe in the hands of the biggest idol that he had left, and he left the axe in his hands. And his father came home, very upset, seeing all of his idols having been broken to, to shreds, and accused his son of having done it. His son said, But father, I, Abraham, how could I have done such a thing? It was the idol that did this. You see the axe is in his hand. He has, he's holding the evidence. And of course, his father Terach said to him, but son, these idols can't do anything. How do you think I can believe you to think that they could take an axe and beat each other up or tear each other apart? And Abraham said to his father, Father, you've just answered my question. How can you make these idols and believe that they have any power whatsoever? And in fact, this was the type of person that Abraham, the founder of Judaism, was, 
person who unrelentlessly, without any compromise whatsoever, believed in one God and that this God had, was the only God that it was proper to pray to. And the sixth of these is the belief, I believe with complete faith that all the words of the prophets are true. Now we get into a completely different aspect. How does God communicate to the world? This God that we believe is, is the source of everything, the first and the last, above time and space, nevertheless came into this world and talked to individuals to be able to share the beauty of what this life is all about, of why are we are in this world, of what we're here to accomplish in this world, and of what God's wisdom is in order to be able to make it readily available for people to learn from and to aspire to. And this is the beauty of our belief system, that we believe that these prophets were great individuals, both men and women, who were themselves pure and holy individuals, ready to be able to transmit that knowledge. In fact, interestingly enough, although the Maimonides does not mention it here specifically, but Judaism is the only of the great religions, the world religions, for whom our belief in God and the revelation that God made to us as a people is not just because God revealed himself to one individual. Our belief in Judaism is not based on God's revelation to one prophet or ten prophets or twenty prophets. It's because God revealed himself personally to three million Jews, men, women, and children who stood in Mount Sinai and proclaimed the first two of the Ten Commandments publicly, that I am the Lord your God and you should have no other gods before you. And this revelation that took place in Mount Sinai is considered to be the basis upon which our religion is based and our lifestyle is, is founded because of that intense relationship that was built between God and the Jewish people at that revelation in Mount Sinai. But all the prophets, in fact, we believe that their words are true and everlasting and are, are as applicable today as they were at the time that they were spoken actually by God to the prophet during their prophetic vision. The seventh of the great principles is that I believe with complete faith that the prophecy of Moses, our teacher, peace upon him, was true and that he was the father of all the prophets, both those who preceded him and those who followed him. In other words, that there never has been in the history of mankind a prophet who was as personally trusted by God as Moses. That Moses, in fact, was the one to whom God transmitted the innermost secrets of his wisdom that he wanted to share with mankind. That Moses on Mount Sinai spent 120 days on Mount Sinai. And those were days of intense revelation and days that, as it says in the Torah, that God, in fact, allowed him, so to say, into his inner chamber of his house and spoke to him face to face. There was a special relationship that no other prophet was able to attain as with the prophecy of Moses. That when Moses spoke, it was as if God's word was coming out of his mouth and that he, Moses, represented the ultimate of truth. As we say, Torah's emes. The Torah is a Torah of truth and it's a Torah's Moshe, a Torah that comes directly from Moses. But interestingly enough, the word Torah itself has the gematria, the numerical value of 611. Altogether, there are 613 commandments in the Torah. Two commandments were given directly to the Jewish people by God of Mount Sinai, as I mentioned before. But 611 were given through Moses. So as a result, this is why we call it the, the Torah of Moses, because the word Torah has this numerical value of 611, which is the amount of mitzvahs that transmitted to the Jewish people through Moses. 
So Moses' teachings are considered to be complete in everything that God wanted to transmit to the Jewish people to provide the foundation and the basis of this truth that would be in turn given by the Jewish people, not only to their children, but also to all the nations of the world. Because interestingly enough, and many people are not aware of this, and it's an important point to make about Judaism, the Torah, we believe, was given to all of humanity, to all mankind, not just to the Jewish people. The Jewish people were chosen, in a sense, to be the vehicle, to be the people who would carry the message to all of mankind, to all of humanity. But not that it is meant to be our exclusive belonging. In fact, to the contrary, Torah teaches very clearly that there are righteous Jews and righteous non-Jews, that a person can live a righteous life, whether they're Jewish or not, and have reward as well for their good deeds. And Judaism doesn't believe in a person having to follow Judaism in order to be a righteous person to have a portion in the world to come. That to the contrary, the Torah is given as God's wisdom and truth for all mankind. And although there are 613 mitzvahs in the Torah given for the Jewish people, we believe that there are approximately 70 mitzvahs, or seven basic principles, which are broken into 70 specific mitzvahs given to all of mankind, for all of the non-Jewish world to fulfill as well. So getting now on to our eighth principle, I believe with complete faith that the entire Torah now in our hands is the same one that was given to Moses, our teacher, peace be unto him. In other words, that the Torah itself has not changed. It's an eternal wisdom that has been transmitted very, very carefully from generation to generation, from father to son, from mother to daughter, from teacher to student, in order to make sure that the original message from the Torah is a message that is transmitted, that this is in fact a Torah given to Moses and that will, it will be a Torah always with us. There will be no other Torah. As you say in the ninth principle, that I believe with complete faith that this Torah will not be exchanged, nor there will be another Torah from the Creator. Blessed be His name. In other words, that the Torah itself is here to be a permanent covenant. Because really when it comes down to it, this is what Judaism is. This is what the Torah is. It's a covenant. Not really just a religion. A religion is just a belief system. But in a Jewish sense, we made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. Our parents made that covenant and promised that their children would follow in their footsteps. And it's on that basis, the guarantee that they gave that their children would follow in their footsteps, that God gave the Torah to our ancestors at Mount Sinai. But it's a covenant in a sense that it's a commitment made by them to God to be able to carry out a special mission in this world. A religion could come or go. A person could, grow, could wake up one day and believe in the religion and wake up the next day and not believe in the religion. A Jew is a Jew not because they believe or don't believe in being Jewish. They're a Jew because we are part of a family. We are the descendants of Abraham and Sarah. And there are converts, of course, through history who have converted to join our people. But we're not a nation who has gone out looking for converts. Why? Because our nation is described as a nation of people descending from Abraham and Sarah who were given a special covenant with God who, and who have a, a mission to fulfill in this world to bring righteousness and goodness and belief in monotheism and tzedek and justice to be able to bring that into the world. So in that sense, this is not just a matter of a religious belief. This is something that deals with the very kishkas, the very guts, the very deep feeling 
that a Jew has a Jewish soul. Everybody has a soul. But a Jewish soul is a specific type of soul that, that, that connects a person to their people and gives them that sense of who they are and what they are as a descendant of Abraham and Sarah. And that soul, we believe, is, comes generation to generation down through the mother, direct from Sarah, Abraham's wife, in order to be able to make all the Jews that are Jews today Jewish. Now we go to the 10th of the 13 principles. I believe with complete faith that the Creator, blessed be His name, knows all the deeds of human beings and their thoughts. As it is said, He fashions their hearts all together and He com comprehends all their deeds. In other words, there we're dealing with the third stage of the 13 principles, the relationship between God and each and every single individual human being. That God knows very well who we are. God knows what we are. It's like a one-way mirror. We might not be able to see the, what's going on or there's anything around us, but as the creator of every cell, of every molecule, of every, every spark of energy, every positive and, and negative charge, God, as the creator, knows our thoughts also because thoughts take energy. God knows our speech, even if nobody's around to hear it. God knows our actions and sees us just as people see us when we're in front of them. And in this sense, this omniscient God and the sense of the presence of God, a sense of a personal relationship with God who is there for us and there in a very personal way is something that's very liberating and at the same time gives us a tremendous sense of obligation and responsibility. And that is part of the challenge of a belief in monotheism. Sometimes it's very easy to believe in one God far, far away. I believe in one God as opposed to two or three gods or as opposed to four or five gods. But no, Judaism asks us to believe in one God, but an omniscient God, a God that is really in and part of everything that is in the world at large. And as a result, this belief gives us a sense of a very intense involvement that God has with our life. So true, belief in God, having the power to understand and to know our thoughts and look, looking and seeing all our deeds is something that is very scary, perhaps, to a certain degree, but at the same time, it creates a very personal relationship that each individual can have with God, knowing that God is intensely involved, not only with my life, but the events surrounding my life and the circumstances of my life. Now, the 11th commandment, one that covers a lot of ground and that we could discuss for a long time, however, it deals with reward and punishment. That I believe with complete faith that the Creator, blessed be His name, rewards with good those who observe His commandments and punishes those who violate His commandments. Now, what is the meaning of that, that statement? Basically, it means that we create positive and negative through our actions. Your actions count. My actions count. All of our actions count in the world at large. And as a result, when they do count, we know that they count for a purpose, that we stand in any way. How God continues its journey after exists and is returned to him afterwards as well. So itself. The twelfth commandment, just before also at length on the show, is the Jews as they walked into the gas chambers during the Holocaust. And the Imamin, I believe with a complete faith in the coming of the Messiah. And even though he may delay, nevertheless I anticipate every day that he will come. This is the basic Jewish belief in the coming of Mashiach. What does the coming of Mashiach mean? It means we believe as a people that this world that God created has a purpose. That the way it is now, it's quite imperfect, as we're all only too aware and some of us more aware than others, depending on our circumstances, our lives, our, our condition in life, and our health. But God is perfect, 
and God could have created a perfect world. But he wanted specifically to create an imperfect world so that we could all be God's partner in the process of working towards perfection, of working detail by detail, day by day, hour by hour, problem by problem, to try to make this world a better place. And when we finally get to that point where we make the world a better place, it doesn't have to be perfect, because only God is perfect, but God can then bring what's called the Messianic era. That is an era, a time where we believe that all of our mitzvahs, all the good deeds, all the justice, and all of the things that have been done throughout the years of creation will in fact bring to a fruition this period of what we call the Messianic era, when the world will in fact be a place of real perfection, where we will be able to see God, experience God, not from a distance, but from a very, very close position. And the 13th and last principle is the principle concerning the resurrection of the dead. Now, the resurrection of the dead is a very difficult concept for all of us to be able to understand. It perhaps is the one that we really have to depend most on just pure belief because how can we understand something like resurrection of a dead person? However, this is part of the 13 principles of faith. So Maimonides obviously thought it was important enough to count it as one of the basic principles of Jewish belief. Why is that? Because this body, which performs all these mitzvahs and does all the good deeds, but ends up six feet under after it's accomplished all of its good deeds. And it deserves to be the recipient of rewards for its self-sacrifice, for the pain and the suffering, for the sweat and the blood and the tears that it had during the course of its life in this world and for the tremendous good deeds that hopefully it did during its life. And at a time when Mashiach comes, when the world will return to a state of holiness, at that time, it will be a time, in fact, where everybody will be reunited together with their loved ones, as we believe that this is really a basic part of the Jewish belief system, that we will be reunited sometime when Mashiach comes. So these are some of the basic principles of Jewish belief. These are some of the things that, that drive us and help us to better understand what our purpose is and how we should conduct ourselves on a day-to-day basis in order to try to be a good human being, to be a living life in the right way. And I hope that it helps you in a little way in order to be able to understand a little more of what Judaism is all about, what Judaism strives to help us to become, and why it's a challenge to be able to live by many of these precepts. Because let's face it, it's not easy. And the society around us doesn't always encourage it. And the movies and sports and all the other distractions that we have and the internet don't necessarily teach it on a regular basis. But we all can all learn more about what it means to be a good human being and what Judaism has to say about it. Shalom. We'll see you next week.